We have three Bible readings this morning. They're only short. First one is from Matthew. Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 to 35, and then jumping over to 69 to 75. So Matthew 26, 31 to 35. Jesus predicts Peter's denial. Sorry, it might be good to put my glasses on. So beginning at verse 31. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Okay, going across to verse 69 to 75. Peter disowns Jesus. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Third reading is from John 21, verses 15 to 17. John 21, verses 15 to 17. Jesus reinstates Peter. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Well, good morning. It's a privilege to be uh, opening up God's word with you all today. As we just heard there, uh, in this passage, we hear a lot about Peter 
and his journey in following Jesus. But in the passage today, there's also so much for us and our journey as we follow Jesus too. Please join me with prayer before I start, and then I'll get into the passage. Our Father in heaven, please open our eyes and place convictions on our hearts in what you have to say to us this morning. Please fill me with your spirit and help me in my weakness and my brokenness to speak clearly. Please show each and every one of us in our own lives and our own journeys how you want us to follow you. Amen. Now, I don't know if you uh, watch any renovation TV shows. Tegan and I have watched a few seasons of The Block. And this week, I was reading an article about a renovation show called Buying Blind. Now, on this show, there's always a couple who are looking uh, to find a house, but they can't find one. So they get experts to help them hand over their life savings Uh, The couple just gives instructions to follow about what they want, and then the experts uh, are meant to purchase the house, renovate the house, and give them the house without the couple ever seeing it, hence the name Buying Blind. Anyway, on one episode, a lady gives her instructions she wants the experts to follow. She would like an interior design that is Scandi Coastal Boho. Now, I have no idea what that means. I'm sure my wife does. Uh, But she also said she wanted there to be no black in her home. They were her instructions to follow. So the house was bought, renovated, the big day of the reveal. The experts thought they'd done well. Um, They had made a Scandi coastal boho house. However, there were black floorboards in the house. On camera, the couple walk through the door. Normally at this point, screaming with excitement. They look at the floor and their words, we'll deal with it later. Hardly the response the experts were hoping for. Now these experts were meant to be following the couple's instructions. They thought they were following. However, they thought black looked better as well. They didn't follow the instructions the way the couple wanted them to follow, and they got it wrong. Now, if you're here at church today, like myself, you're most likely here because you're following Jesus. But as we read the Bible this morning and unpack the passage, God's word is asking all of us, are you following Jesus the way he wants you? To follow him. Not are you following the Jesus, following Jesus the way you want to follow him. Not are we following Jesus merely a way that's acceptable to all those around us. But are you truly following Jesus the way he wants you to follow him? Now, in this passage, there are some great challenges, but there's also great encouragement, comfort, and love. While it asks us that question. Are we following Jesus the way he wants? Please uh, keep your Bibles open to John chapter 21. And uh, we're going to go through the passage now. Please read with me verse 21, uh, verse 1 to 3. 
Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. So we read the disciples, they're in Galilee. They're most likely waiting for further instruction from Jesus. He'd appeared to them already, but it still wasn't clear to them what they must do. So while waiting, Peter decides to return to his trade, fishing. And if you're a keen fisherman like me, I can't think of a better trade to have. Peter says to the others, I'm going out to fish. And the others like me, if I hear someone say that, they say, we'll go with you. However, their night of fishing turns into every fisherman's worst nightmare. They fished all night and they caught nothing. What a waste of time, they were probably thinking to themselves. Night shift two, no fish, no pay. We should have stayed at home. But then something happens. Have a look with me now at verse four to six. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. From a fisherman's worst nightmare to a fisherman's dream come true. So many fish, they couldn't even pull them all in. Now this boring story of fishing starts to get exciting. But you know, this is not the first time an event very similar to this has happened. If you're familiar with the Gospels, can you think of a similar event like this that's happened earlier? It's the first time Jesus ever calls Peter. In Luke chapter 5, again, the, the, the Peter, at that point, they weren't even disciples. They were out fishing all night. Jesus told them to put down their nets and they get more fish than they can handle. And on both of these occasions, remember, this is a miraculous event that's happened. It's not like... Uh, these guys just get a, a, a pro tip on how to catch fish better. These guys were the pros at their trade. They knew how to catch fish. When this happens, uh, it's Jesus teaching the disciples a lesson. And Jesus is reminding them now in John 21, he's reminding them to that first time. The first time when it happened, Jesus says to Peter, don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. And it says, so they pulled in their boats, left everything and followed him. Jesus is reminding the disciples, I don't want you to go out and fish for fish anymore. I want you to follow me. Like you did when I first called you, you left everything behind and came and followed me. He's reminding them of that same thing again. He's recalling them to come and follow him. He's saying to them, 
despite your best efforts, without me, you can do nothing. But when I am with you, you can do more than you dream of. Follow me, fish for men. Now, the first time when this happened, Peter was overwhelmed by what he witnessed. And the first time it happened, Peter said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. But now in John 21, notice how he reacts the second time. Have a read with me of verse 7 and 8. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore. Peter knows what he has to do. He's excited to do it. He jumps off the boat nearly 90 metres from shore. He can't wait to see Jesus. He knows he needs to follow Jesus. He's been reminded of his calling and he starts in a physical way, swimming as fast as he can to Jesus. So the disciples come to shore, Peter swimming, the others trying to drag the big net of fish. And when they arrive, see what they find. Please read with me verse 9 to 14. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So what did the disciples find on shore? They found a nice warm fire, fish being cooked and bread. They'd been fishing all night, working at their trade and caught nothing until Jesus showed up. Now he's Jesus, breakfast ready, waiting for them on the beach. They hadn't even brought the fish in and Jesus had fish for them sitting on the fire. Jesus is showing them if they trust him, he will provide for them. Jesus is showing them that following Jesus means trusting in his provision. And the bread and the fish as a choice for breakfast, it's no coincidence either. No doubt they would have remembered another time Jesus had miraculously provided for them. The time he fed the 5,000, he also had bread and fish. And now here again, They come to shore and there's bread and fish. Jesus wants them to know, first and foremost, they are not to be concerned about providing for themselves. Following Jesus means first and foremost, they are to be concerned about following him and he 
will provide. And this is the same for us. And when we do trust God, when we trust in his provision, when we do rely on him, we see God provide in all kinds of miraculous ways. Now, there's so many stories of God's provision. I had trouble to pick one uh, for, for today. But for me, one of my favourite stories that I've heard comes from an orphanage in the 1800s, run by a man named George Mueller. Now, this uh, man had a conviction to give up everything he had to start an orphanage in Bristol, England. He also had a conviction that there would be no admission charge and the conviction that it would run completely on the provision of Jesus, trusting Jesus would provide. There was no business model. He, he just trusted that God would provide through donations or miraculous means. One morning, they were out of money and they were out of food. Mueller led the children into the long dining room set for breakfast without food. And praying, he said, Dear Father, we thank thee for thou art going to give us to eat. They sat and waited. There was a knock at the door. It was the baker unable to sleep because he was sure the Lord wanted to bake bread for Mueller. Children, Mueller said, we not only have bread, but fresh bread. Almost immediately, they heard a second knock. This time it was the milkman. The milk cart had broken down outside the orphanage and he offered the milk to the children, completing their meal. Isn't God's provision amazing? You may well be able to think of times in your life where you've seen God's hand providing for you. And if you ever have the chance to read uh, about the life of George Mueller in a biography or what others have written, this is just one of many accounts written by both the children who stayed there and those who worked there. This was not a one-off provision that he experienced. We had a trust in Jesus' provision the way he wants us to. But now how does this look for our lives and for our journey when we are following Jesus? Well, I want you to think about a question. Do we ever lack trust in God for his provision? Does being uh, stressed or worried about God's provision ever stop us from doing something we feel convicted to do? Because if it does, then we need to change the way we think and act to follow Jesus the way he wants us to follow him. Jesus asks some of us to leave behind our jobs and follow him in full-time ministry, just like he did with the disciples. Does anyone feel a conviction to being a pastor or missionary or working in a volunteer organisation or starting some new venture for the glory of God? If you do, is God saying to you this morning, what's stopping you? Jesus tells us he will provide if we follow him. But for many of us, following Jesus uh, means staying in our jobs or, or staying retired. And that's how Jesus wants us to follow him. But even so, 
Do we feel convictions about giving? Do we ever feel convicted to give, but think, oh, I don't know how we'd provide? Or do we feel convicted to use our time for church or ministry or to give to the community, possibly taking a day and a half off work to help, help with something or teach scripture, or even ministry to our own family? Do we ever feel like we have to work long hours to provide for ourselves? Could Jesus be saying to you, uh, trust me, I will provide, follow me. Now, trust of things out of our control, it's hard. We do have families to provide for, we do have expectations of friends to meet, moving out of our comfort zone, it's never an easy decision. But uh, let me ask you this, to take a metaphor directly from the passage. Is it harder to fish all night and catch nothing or following Jesus the way he wants us to and having bread and fish waiting for you around a fire? And I'm by no means saying it's straightforward. But this I do know, our God provides and he tells us to trust him and he tells us to trust his provision when we follow Jesus. Now we get to the next part of the passage. And this is one of my favourite parts of the passage, which we had read out this morning. Please read with me verse 15 to 17. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, the question that Jesus asks Peter here three times It's a loaded question. There's a lot more going on than Jesus simply trying to find out if Peter loves him. It's a little bit like sometimes when I question my children. In the past week, we had some Easter eggs left in the fridge. And my lovely wife bought a packet of my favorite Easter eggs that were just for me. And even though they were just for me, I still shared them with my kids Anyway, I pulled out the packet from the fridge this week and each and every egg had teeth marks all over them. The foil's still on the egg, but it had been bitten through and chewed on. When this happens, I ask the only child in my house who could have reached onto the chop shelf, Micah, son of Nathan, did you eat these eggs? Now, I did phrase the question slightly different in real life, but it fits well. And I, 
Now, my question was loaded. I already knew the answer, but I wanted to teach him something. I wanted him to know what he'd done. I wanted him to know, I wanted him to be sorry, and I wanted to offer him forgiveness for eating my Easter eggs. I already knew the answer to the question, but it was a loaded question. And I think that's similar to Jesus' question to Peter here. And we see by Peter's response, Peter himself knows that it's a loaded question. For he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter knows that Jesus knows he loves him. And we, we also see Peter loves him. When he saw Jesus from the shore, Peter was the first one to jump out of the boat and get to the shore. Peter loved Jesus. But Jesus asked him not once but three times, do you love me? So what's behind the question? It's, Peter seems to realize the third time. It says Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. It's now clear Jesus is reminding Peter three times Peter had denied Jesus. As we read in our Bible reading earlier, And there's more. Not only did he deny Jesus three times, look at verse 15 and what Jesus said to Peter. Do you love me more than these? I believe Peter's also reminding him of his words where Peter said, even if all fall away on account of you, I will not. I love you the most, Jesus. Jesus saying, do you love me more than these? But even though Peter claimed that, we saw he did fall away. He had failed. And Jesus made that clear. Jesus is humbling Peter by these questions. And Peter was indeed humbled. He was hurt. But Jesus humbling Peter in this way, it's not just so that Peter will feel bad because of his failure. Now, he's being humbled for the exact opposite reason, actually. He's being humbled so that he can be lifted up again, so that Jesus can show him he's forgiven. He's reminded three times of his failure, and three times Jesus lifts him up. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend to my ewes. Jesus is saying to Peter, You may have fallen, but I am restoring you to follow me the way I had first called you to follow me. Jesus is now not a a second-rate disciple. Because of his failure and his falling, he doesn't miss out on the plan God has for his life. No, he's forgiven. And Jesus reinstates him to what he first called him to do. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. And we know that Peter is one of the major apostles in the New Testament. Jesus' words to Peter, they were both painful and tender. Peter, the failed disciple who fell away, is reinstated. Peter has been forgiven so that he can follow Jesus. And now, brothers and sisters, there is so much 
in this event and these words for us too. Have you ever failed? Have you denied the Lord by your actions? Are you struggling in your walk with Jesus? It might be struggling with an addiction. It might be being embarrassed or ashamed at work or uni or friends about your faith. Perhaps you knew when you should have said something and you didn't. It might be sins in your life that have led to a failed or failing marriage or any other number of things. But Jesus says you don't have to stay in that place. If you have fallen, does that mean you don't love Jesus? Well, if you're grieved by these actions, then the evidence is that you do love Jesus. And Jesus forgives you so that you can follow him. Jesus welcomes you back. Jesus knows your heart. He knows everything. In the words of Peter himself, in, in, in Peter's epistle, possibly with this very event in his mind, 1 Peter 5, 6, it says, Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. If you are here today and you feel like you've fallen, find forgiveness in Jesus and follow him. And you're no longer a a second-rate follower, someone who's missed out on what God had called you to do. No, Jesus reinstates you and has a plan for you if you find forgiveness in him and follow him. Now, for the last, but by no means the least part of this passage, please read with me verse 18 to 19. Verse 18. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. We see Jesus tells Peter that the journey for him of following Jesus will mean suffering and dying. And suffering and dying for Jesus, Peter did. Notice in verse 18 it says, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Apparently the phrase to stretch out your hands used to refer to crucifixion. Jesus here is telling Peter, following him will mean being nailed to a cross. For Peter, following Jesus meant suffering. And I imagine that was not an easy thing for Peter to hear. And at this moment when Jesus said that, Peter noticed someone was standing behind him. Please read with me verse 20 to 21. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? 
Peter noticed John. He had heard what following Jesus was going to mean for him. And he wanted to know, will it be like this for everyone? Am I getting a fair deal? Is this what following Jesus uh, looks like for me? What about him? How does Jesus reply? And I love how Jesus replies. Verse 22, Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that, the disciples would not, that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Now, I do feel here for Peter, but I love Jesus' reply. Don't look at others, Peter. Just worry about yourself. Worry about you following me. Jesus' phrase, what is that to you, is basically saying, mind your own business. I have a plan for you, Peter, and I have a plan for everyone. And those plans are different. But what do you need to worry about? You following me the way I am asking you to follow me. And this is the same for us. Following Jesus will look different for everyone. One thing's always the same. We follow Jesus. But how that looks is different for all. This was the case for the disciple Peter and John in the story here. Peter was crucified. Well, what did happen to John? According to history and tradition, he lived out his days and died of old age on an island. Even for Peter and Paul, Peter was asked to walk away from his trade. Paul continued in his trade while doing ministry. One of us may be sent to full-time ministry, another to continue in our job. Some of us will experience much suffering in this life. Others of us, less so. We're not to look around at, our, at others and say, it's unfair what we have. It's unfair the challenges we face. Jesus tells us what we must do. You must follow me in your life, in your circumstance, in your challenges. Now, this is uh, an encourage for us too. If we find ourselves uh, suffering and, and finding things difficult that others don't experience, it doesn't mean that we've done something wrong. It means that Jesus has a different path for us as we follow him. Whether being a, a stay-at-home parent, which is such an important role, or if you're out providing for your family and giving to those in ministry or in full-time ministry, whether you're in this country or sent to another country, if we find our journey different to those around us, we should not be surprised or discouraged. If we feel like we are suffering, we should not be surprised or discouraged. It's not easy, but Jesus has a plan for you and your life. He doesn't want us to compare ourselves to others. 
And he doesn't want us to, uh, if we feel convictions that we ought to do something, to look to others and say, well, they're, they're not doing it. That means I don't have to. No. Jesus wants each of us to follow him the way he's calling us to follow him, not the way he wants us to, not the way we want to follow. So following Jesus may mean suffering and it will look different for everyone. Now finishing with the last two verses. And this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I would suppose that even the whole world would have no room for the books that would be written. We see all we've read in John today and all the weeks so far. It's been an eyewitness account of John himself. We can trust these words. But we also see it's much more than an eyewitness account. He says, even the whole world would not have enough books that could be written about the things I've seen. So much more could have been written. And that means what is here in John? Everything that's here in all the Gospels. These are the stories that God wants us to learn from, to challenge us, to change our lives, and to show us how to follow Jesus. In closing, are you following Jesus the way he wants you to? Do you feel convictions in your life to do things, but are not because you're afraid? Step out and trust Jesus. He wants us to trust his provision as we follow him. He forgives us so that we can follow him. And following Jesus may mean suffering and will look different for everyone. But Jesus says, To every one of us here, you follow me.